encourage you to uh, take up your Bibles and uh, turn back to the reading that uh, Alison read for us just a moment ago. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Page 970 is the page number. If you're looking for a handout, uh, which we try to produce uh, most weeks, I'm afraid we had all sorts of problems on Sunday over in the church and we didn't have any, uh, over in the church centre, we didn't have any um, uh, electricity, any power, so we weren't able to photocopy anything, so um, there we are. You'll just have to listen in and take notes if you want to. Well, have you got Matthew 5 in front of you, verses 38 to 42? I wonder what you make of these words of Jesus as Alison uh, read them for us. I imagine a number of people here, if they were thinking when these words were being read, responding in the manner of John McEnroe, you cannot be serious. Is Jesus saying that Christians are meant to be doormats? Verse 39. Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Are we uh, to allow people to walk all over us? Verse 40. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Are we to be a soft touch? Verse 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You cannot be serious. Maybe more seriously, does verse verse 39 leave the battered wife battered and asking for more? And does verse 42 mean we're obliged to give money to every homeless person that we pass on the street? See, it's very easy to read these verses out of context and then to write them off as unrealistic. And if we do that, it's very easy to leave ourselves with excuses not actually to live this out. Because you can't really be serious, can you? Uh, But let's listen in. That is exactly what the Pharisees did. That is exactly the issue Jesus is dealing with. The Pharisees were always finding loopholes, always explaining the Bible away. And remember, the Pharisees were the evangelical believers of the day. But they could explain bits of the Bible away and feel fully justified in not living out the Bible's teaching. As we've seen over these last weeks, that is never an appropriate attitude for the disciple of Jesus Christ. We are to be people who should aim high, live the best we can, not in order to be saved. Jesus' death has secured our salvation. That is what we remember tonight as we take bread and wine. So we don't live this way to be saved, but as those who've benefited from the death of Jesus, we are to be those who aim high for him and who want indeed to go deep into the law and not to read it at a surface level. So as we turn to these verses this evening, let's pray that we wouldn't be like the Pharisees. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to understand these verses and indeed that we would respond to them as we should. Let me pray for us now. Our Father, we thank you very much for your word. We thank you that as we've been reading it and studying it together over these Sunday evenings, we've seen it cut deep into our hearts. And we pray you would rescue us from being like the Pharisees, uh, those who find ways of not really living it, uh, because we can explain it away. We pray rather that you would once again challenge us and teach us, knowing that as we've been singing, you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, good to all. May we live like that with all around us. For your name's sake. Amen. 
Well, Jesus said then, verse 38, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That is our first point. If I had a handout, it would read this. Point one, an eye for an eye, a Pharisee's personal punishment. So if you're taking notes, point one, an eye for an eye, a Pharisee's personal punishment. If you've been here over these last weeks, you'll have seen that in each section, Jesus is exposing the Pharisees and the way they mishandle the word of God. That is exactly what is happening here again in this section. So yes, verse 38, the Old Testament law does teach an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You'll find the Bible references at the bottom of the page there in the Bible. Uh, Look them up later and you'll discover that these words were spoken into a judicial context. This is crucial to get hold of. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a rule for a Jewish court of law. It is, if you want the posh title, the principle of exact retribution. You give somebody the same sentence that they deserve. Um, Older members of the congregation might remember the name Judge Pickles. I looked him up on Google. Uh, I'd remembered this name in my prep and I suddenly thought, um, I wonder how long ago, it was back in the 70s, can you believe that? Judge Pickles, Judge James Pickles. Do you remember them? His career as a judge was was highly controversial and some of his judgments made headline news. His most notorious case involved giving a lenient sentence to a rapist on the grounds that the victim had been, and I quote, asking for it. Do you remember that? Outrageous. See, a lenient um, sentence. God's law would not allow that kind of judicial behaviour. And equally, it wouldn't allow a harsh punishment either. God's law, you see, is completely fair because as we considered last week, God's law reflects God's character. He is a just God, fair and equitable. God does not punish harshly or leniently. And so an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth was the way a judge in God's community, in the Jewish community, was to sentence the guilty. It was a law designed to stop miscarriages of justice. And a law crucially, and again, hang on to this, designed to restrain revenge for the law courts. You see, the truth is, if you've been wronged, but you know that justice is going to be done, then you don't feel you have to take the law into your own hands, do you? So it stops revenge, you see. Of course, that's one of the great things about being a Christian. There are so many great things about being a Christian, but here's one of them. I know that one day justice will be done in the world. I believe that that whatever happens in this life, all wrongs will be put right on judgment day. Isn't that fantastic? I still remember the first time that I grasped that truth and what a difference it made in my day-to-day living. At the time I was working in the newspaper industry. I loved my job, but there were plenty of injustices in that Environment. It was a cutthroat business. Dog eat dog. There were times when, when my boss, frankly, treated me unfairly. Uh, let me tell you that knowing that judgment day, on judgment day, all wrongs would be put right, was wonderfully liberated. Suddenly it meant that I didn't have to take the law into my own hands. I didn't have to seek revenge. I could leave it up to him. Isn't that brilliant? That's how God's law was designed for Jewish society because God's law reflects God's character. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, perfect justice, do you see? And so, and this is crucial, there's no need for God's people to personally take revenge. 
But the Pharisees had taken this law, a great law, and done exactly the opposite with it. They used this law to justify personal revenge. Even though it is explicitly forbidden in God's law. Um, If you want to look this up, just keep a notice sheet in Matthew 5 and come back with me to Leviticus chapter 19, page 122, and you'll see how personal revenge is explicitly forbidden. Page 122. And it's Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. See, it's very clear. Leviticus 19, verse 18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. I am the Lord, you see. This is what I am like, so be like me. Love your neighbour. That is the fulfilling of the law. But you see, the Pharisees rather conveniently forgot that law, Leviticus 19, 18, that the law that says do not take personal revenge... And then they twisted the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the law that was for the court, law, court, law courts, and applied it to themselves. So the Pharisees taught that if someone poked your eye out, then you should jolly go, well, go and poke theirs out too. I imagine walking over for coffee after the service. You go through the double doors. It's always a bit of a scrum, isn't it, to get there? Uh, and uh, someone elbows you. Well, jolly well elbow them back. That's what the Pharisees would say. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, poke for poke, elbow for elbow. That's how the Pharisees had treated the law. Now do you see how they completely turned it upside down? Rather now than restrain personal revenge because an eye for an eye, knowing that was going to be done in the law courts meant you didn't have to take the law into your own hands. Rather than now restrain personal revenge, they used the law in a way that encouraged it. And that is the big thing that Jesus is dealing with here. Please remember that as we go through these verses. That is the context of Jesus' teaching. God's law, you see, was designed to bring order and peace to society because God is a God of order and peace. But if you and I listen to the Pharisees, in no time at all you'd have complete anarchy, a free-for-all. Every Tom, Dick and Harry taking the law into their own hands. So point one, an eye for an eye, a Pharisee's personal punishment. Now point two, I'll give you my cheek, the disciples' demonstration of dishonour. If you're taking notes, I'll give you my cheek, the disciples' demonstration of dishonour, verses 39 to 42. Now let me read from verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, there's three sub-points under this second point, and the first is this, don't retaliate. That is Jesus' first big point, don't retaliate. Leave the courts to mete out justice. Or, Christian, know that God will deal with injustice on the last day. You don't need to take revenge. God will do that. He will deal with all the injustices in the world when you're wronged, verse 39 don't you resist that evil person, leave leave that up to the the law or leave it up to God you see just at that level and we're going to see that Jesus is going to keep taking us deeper but just at that level I think there's a challenge for us, it's too easy to want to get even isn't it? in this world of litigation where we're encouraged to stand up for our rights 
acting in a peace-loving, peacemaking way is quite alien to us. We feel this need, I've got to be seen to be right. I want to show people that I'm, I've, I've got to kit stick to my rights. I'm, I'm not wrong here. And not least of all, when we're at work, where so often selfish ambition reigns and there's a fierce competition to climb to the top of the career ladder. In that kind of environment, in a competitive environment, there is always this temptation to, to want to get even. Christian, rise above all that, verse 39. Do not resist an evil person. When I was in London, I worked with Christians in the workplace and I reckon this is one of the biggest areas of angst for Christian workers, coping with the, the injustice in the workplace. I remember speaking to one guy who was going through a particularly tough time at work. He'd, he'd been misunderstood and misrepresented as far as I could tell. I think he'd been really tr- badly treated at work. But as we met over a, a number of uh, cups of coffee over a number of weeks, we talked about what his response to this situation should be and he was learning that he, he, he needed not to take revenge. That was the big thing the Lord was teaching him in this situation. He was learning to trust the Lord to put these wrongs right one day, maybe only on the last day. Now look, I'm not saying that it's illegitimate to go through an established grievance procedure at work. That's not what I'm saying. But here's the key point. As Christians, we must examine our hearts and ask, why are we taking these people through this grievance procedure? Is it so that people who come after us don't get hurt? That's legitimate. Or is it because actually we're out for revenge? That's not something we need to be into. See the difference? It's about attitude. Don't retaliate. Don't take personal revenge. That's the point, verse 39. Do not resist an evil person. Don't you do that. Leave that up to God. See, as disciples of Jesus Christ, that is the least we must live. But of course, Jesus doesn't stop there. Don't take revenge as a start, but there's nothing especially Christian about that, is there? I know lots of unbelievers who don't take revenge. Nothing Christian here, just good. See, as we've seen before in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't just stick to the letter of the law. He teaches us how to live the spirit of the law. He goes deep into it. So when it comes to relating to those who wronged us, we need to be distinctive, quite different from the world. We need to act in ways that foster peace. And that's what Jesus is now going to go on to do in three ways. So the second sub-point under the, under the second point is this, turn the other cheek, verse 39. See, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, Please don't instantly think about the extreme example, the battered wife, the beaten child. I'm convinced as I've been studying this that that isn't what this is talking about at all. It's not even thinking about those situations. Remember the context. It's likely that Jesus was referring to the the ultimate insult of the day. It's the uh, backhanded slap on the cheek using your right hand that would hit the person's right cheek. If someone did that to you in the first century, first century Palestine, you would have been on the receiving end of the greatest insult that you could be given. Now, if that is what is going on here, and I think that probably is, then Jesus is not talking about violence at all. He's talking about insult. He's saying, when you're insulted, how are you going to respond? Are you going to hurl back an equally vehement tongue lashing? Or are you going to take it? I don't know whether it's because I'm vertically challenged, but uh, for 
some reason, in, in my teenage years, I became very good at, at, at giving people a bit of that, you know, a bit of tongue. Uh, before I became a Christian, if someone insulted me, I could give them a real tongue lashing and I could justify it. I'm just giving them a taste of their own medicine, helping them to know what it feels like. I could justify it. But it does sound a little bit like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, doesn't it? That is no way for a Christian to live. When you're insulted, don't retaliate. Turn the other cheek. Rather than retaliate, Jesus says, be, be willing to lose face. That is very hard to do, isn't it? In some way, I reckon it's harder than not retaliating to physical violence. Especially if you're built like me. I never dream of physically fighting back because I know I'm on a hiding to nothing. I mean, even with these muscles, I just don't do it. <laughs> but if you verbally insult me, oh... I think back a few years, I'd hired a van to move some furniture. At the end of the day, I was returning the van to the hire centre. I was tired, it was hot. As I turned off the busy high street, I couldn't get down the narrow drive to the hire centre because the drive was blocked. I couldn't reverse out again because the road was busy. So I was stationary across the, the pavement. The window was down at the time because it was so hot. And as I sat there in the van wondering what to do, a, a lady came along with a, woman, uh, with, with a child in, in the pushchair unable to get through past the pavement. She gave me real grief. She insulted my intelligence, saying I was an idiot. She insulted my stature, saying I was a little widget, which <laughs> might well be true. And then she insulted my parents, using words that aren't appropriate to repeat in a Christian pulpit. Now, at that point, I could have taken it on the chin, offered her the other cheek, said sorry, sympathise with her. It was a nuisance where I was. Well, no. I wasn't going to take that insult from her and so I gave her what for. I think my response, my measured response began with, now listen lady. <laughs> that tells you enough, doesn't it? What did it achieve? Absolutely nothing. Could I justify, oh yes, how dare she speak to me like that. Could I have said sorry? Oh yeah, I could. Could I have lost face? Yep. Could I have sympathised with her and realised that she might have been having a really bad day? Yeah, I could have done that. Could I take the insult? Oh no, not me. You see, Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Take it on the chin. And if you want to really see this lived out, then look at Jesus. See, Jesus lived this. Uh, one more cross-reference. Keep your uh, finger in Matthew 5 and come with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, is page 1,219. Yeah, we're going to see Jesus living it, but we're also going to see another part of the Bible telling us to live it as well. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. See it there at the bottom of page 1218. 1 Peter 2 verse 20 How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But here's the point. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Isn't that striking, Christian? We often talk about our calling. What's your calling? If you're a Christian, your calling is, well, this is part of it. To suffer for doing good and enduring it. Verse 21 To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example 
that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. Listen to this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, when you go away from tonight, you're going to think all this teaching is a bit unreasonable. But read 1 Peter 2 again and see, to this you were called, Christ suffered, he gave an example for us. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. As an example to us. And you see that last bit of verse 23? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's how I can do this stuff. Entrust myself to God, allowing him to put wrongs right on judgment day. And if I know that's going to happen, then now I can act in ways that foster peace. I can act in ways that take the heat out of the situation. I can act in ways that diffuse a potentially explosive moment. And I should black that way because God is a God of peace and in the Gospel he acts to bring peace in relationships. Now be sure as we look at this, turn the other cheek is not weak. It takes a very strong man to act this way. Indeed it was a strong man who did act this way. Jesus was very strong on the cross. In Matthew's Gospel, we read he had legions of angels at his disposal. You want to know how powerful that is? One angel terrified whoever he came in contact with in the Christmas story. One angel appears and people shudder. Can you imagine having a legion of them at your disposal? Jesus was strong. He could have blown his opponents away. But he showed his strength in not retaliating. So when you're insulted, be ready to lose face. That fosters peace. But as we go back to Matthew 5, Jesus goes deeper still. Uh, You see, from turn the other cheek to give the outer cloak. He's going deeper, so get ready. Verse 40. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. The cloak was a garment that the law said could never be taken from you. So no matter how destitute you became, you'd always have the warmth of your heavy cloak for protection. Now the law said that, not that we need to get bogged down in the details. As Don Carson says, it's not the clothes but the principle that matters. And the principle is this, even those things we regard as our rights by law, we should be ready to abandon in personal relationships. See, the Jewish law was there to deal with miscarriages of injustice. Now, Christians know that God will deal with miscarriages of injustice, maybe only on the last day, but he will deal with them, so I don't need to. I should react in a way that does everything possible to improve and restore relationships. I mustn't be about demanding my rights. Uh, A few years ago, there was a programme on television. Do you remember it? I don't think it's still on now. Neighbours from Hell. Do you remember that? I don't know why I'm laughing. The programme would show situations where relationships between next-door neighbours are completely broken down. And often, if you remember that programme, it was often a rigid sticking to the law which began to make things unpleasant, a demanding of my rights that made it so unpleasant. I remember one episode where a guy had erected a huge fence in his garden. He wanted his privacy. But in doing so, he cut off all the natural light to his neighbour's house. The man's response, it's my garden, I'm within the law, I'm exercising my right of privacy. 
And you kind of wanted to say, well, yes, you are within the law, you are within your rights, but don't you think you could remove the fence and just put a smaller one in place, make life a bit more pleasant for your neighbour? Wouldn't be so bad, would it? See, in our world, we're always demanding our rights, which is really, let's be honest about it, being out for myself, isn't it? Christian, we've got to rise above that. Put aside your rights to foster peace because God is a God of peace. Yes, in law, you can do it. Even in God's law, you could do it. But put them aside. What can I do to help peace? Make relationships good. Well, finally, from give the outer cloak to go the extra mile, verse 41. See, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Oh, we know exactly what this means. We use it in everyday language. But if it helps us, the historical context was this. Israel was occupied by the Romans. The Jews hated the Romans and they hated the rules that the Romans imposed on them. And one of those rules was that a Roman soldier could requisition an ordinary citizen to take him a mile in any direction. So you're trundling along your cart, minding your own business. A Roman guard could stop you and force you to take him a mile in any direction he likes. He couldn't make you go any further than a mile. And so Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Of course, the point isn't take him two miles and no further. And the point definitely isn't take him two miles because you know he wants to get off after one. It's not that either. <laughs> we know what it means, but that's the sort of thing, of course, we do with these words. It's about being ready to go out of your way. Go the extra mile, even when you consider the law to be an ass. Be helpful. That fosters peace. It improves relationship. I think this is largely an attitude thing, isn't it? It means having a willing and helpful spirit and an approach to life that, that helps others. At work, it means doing things willingly and cheerfully, even the things we'd rather not do. Even, uh, like in those days, the things we think, the law's an ass. Why have I got to do that? Even things we, we, we think we shouldn't be asked to do, do them willingly means not being one of those people who mutter under our breath the whole time or go complaining as soon as somebody's mentioned it to us. Those sort of people are a pain in the neck to live with, aren't they? Don't be one of them. Whenever they're asked to do the grotty jobs, have a long face and make life miserable for everyone else. Well, rise above it, Christian. Don't be a clock watcher packing up the moment it's home time, even though there's more to be done. Rise above all that. Be someone who's helpful, who looks out for others. Go the extra mile. See, each time Jesus is going deeper. Turn the other cheek, give the outer cloak, go the extra mile. Jesus is saying here, Christians are not to be people who take revenge. But not just that. We're to react in ways that, that bring peace. Because followers of Jesus are not to be those who think of themselves, but who think of others. That's how it's summed up in verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. See, rather than ask what's in it for me, the follower of Jesus should be asking, what's in it for them? What can I give them? Because you see, that is the character of the God that we follow. See, as I look at this, this verse, these verses, not least of all verse 42, I see Jesus lived this. Jesus died this. See verse 42, give. Well, Jesus gave himself. Gave himself his life on a cross. 
When we understand the cross of Christ, we can't be people who demand our rights. If Jesus had demanded his rights, he wouldn't have even come down to earth, let alone died on a cross. When we understand the cross, we can't be tight-fisted and selfish because if Jesus had been selfish, he wouldn't have given himself completely unto death. When we understand the cross, we have to be people who work towards peace because Jesus' death brought peace between God and man and between Jew and Gentile. Do you see, Jesus is, verse 42. As we take communion, we'll see that. Verse 42, give to the one who asks you. Well, Jesus does give to the one who asks him. He gives forgiveness to all who ask him. And Jesus is, verse 42, don't turn away from those who want to borrow from you. Even though we're all destitute before Jesus, even though we have nothing to give him back, Jesus freely gives to us. And so once I've grasped that, and as I look at the cross tonight... I want to live this. Not because it's a list of rules to keep, but out of thankfulness for all that he's done for me and with this deep desire to reflect the gospel that we love and the God that we know. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're very conscious that we can be just like the Pharisees, coming to your word and twisting it, finding excuses not to obey it, justifying ourselves when we live something that it not only doesn't say but actually forbids. We ask you to be those people who do reflect um, you, our Heavenly Father, to our world. Uh, those who are longing to foster peace in relationships. May we be the peacemakers who go out of our way uh, to make it good for others. May we be people who don't put ourselves first but others. And may the motivation be that you have already done that for us and that we want to show that glorious truth to others. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.